This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're tuned into It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, the top podcast covering the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Hosted by Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata at Odyssey Sports Podcast. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. What's going on? Oh, that's a new question. <laughs> I was yeah, I changed it on <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Great Bengals win. I changed it on purpose. If you've been listening um, over the last couple podcasts, I, I kind of asked Mike how he's doing several times during the podcast. So I'm trying to change it up. And I definitely thought on my feet there and um, I butchered it, but I'm glad you're doing great. <laughs> Obviously, it's always a good day after a Bengals win. And the thing about it is, you look overall in the first half, not to be negative or anything like that. It was pretty sloppy. Uh, offense, not so much. And I mean, I know Joe had a pick, but mostly the defense. And it's never easy in the AFC North settings. This team knows you like the back of their hand. It can be ugly. It's never pretty. But getting a road win in that atmosphere for this team that badly needed a division win to kind of keep up in the AFC North race and just the wild card race overall, because there's a bunch of teams right now fighting for those spots in the second half of the season. Let's start with the offense. Samaj P. Ryan, what a, what a day for him. Yeah, he tied his career total in receiving touchdowns today with three. The thing about him is I tell people all the time because I know when you hear Samaj P. Ryan, you think of the Super Bowl because of everything that happened. And I don't even blame him for that last drive and series on offense. But I always think of the Kansas City game. And Zach Taylor said after the game that they ran that same play when he scored one of his touchdowns that they ran in the Kansas City game. And it really paid off for them. So I'm all about the Samaj P. Ryan touchdown run, just like Kansas City. It looks exactly like it. Nick, our producer, went ahead and put the picture up on video right now. And you can see the blocking. Bolson, little Trent Irwin, I think, is in action. And then Samaj P. Ryan runs it in. If someone would have told me that he was going to have three touchdowns in this game, I don't know how I would have felt. Yeah, uh, that screen is... Is the Bengals screen game pretty good now? Because on that play, Ted Karras goes up and he puts Miles Jack on his face or back. I don't remember. Put him in the ground. And then uh, out wide, of course, Stanley Morgan makes a great block. Trent Irwin gets on the convoy lead the way. And Corey Volson came out of nowhere to finish off the convoy and get him into the end zone untouched. I mean, 
that's two games in a row for the Bengals that their screen game has been deadly. And uh, it's surprising when you have followed this team during the entire Zach Taylor era, to be honest, <laughs> that the screen game is working this well. It, they had the one against the Chiefs that you mentioned. That was one where P. Ryan went the wrong way. <laughs> and, and they still scored, they just scored a touchdown because the defense followed the blockers. That was, that was a crazy play to look back on. And I'm going to go to the wide receiver room. Awesome for Trent Irwin to get his first touchdown. I'm fighting for that Stanley Morgan one to come soon. For some reason, I oh, feel like you're going to draw up a play for Stanley there, Morgan. There was a there was a play there under center, and the, they didn't really have the wide receivers on the field. It was Stanley Morgan as the only receiver for like the last six minutes of the game. But Burrow looked over at him. He did something with his hand. And I was like, is he about to throw a deep ball to Stanley Morgan? And it was just a handoff. And I was like, I'm kind of upset. <laughs> I looked over and I, I see him do something, look at Stanley with something like, I, I don't know, some type of hand signal. And I was like, oh, here we go. And it wasn't it. And it didn't <laughs> it was, happen. It was probably a good situation. I assume the Steelers are trying to sell out to stop the run. So it's going to be there. But uh, maybe next week. Yeah, I'll move on to another wide receiver, T. Higgins. Uh, and Tyler Boyd had his moments. It felt a little late for the Tyler Boyd involvement, but you can always count on Tyler to make a big catch at a big time. But T. Higgins had himself a day two after the game. I don't know if this was similar to the Mike Tomlin in the Pittsburgh Steelers dance after week one, but he did go live for about 30 seconds. Mike Hilton, T. Higgins, a few of the other playmakers on the field were jumping yeah, j- jumping in the video. I don't know. It felt a little similar to the Mike Tomlin dance from week one. And, and it was very quick. It was in and out. And, um, you know, the guys had a had a really good laugh. But just credit to T. Higgins. I think it's kind of funny because they had the Cowboys and the Vikings game on. And it had the majority of the United States audience. They switched that game because it was a blowout. And it was Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. So some of the national people started to watch that game. And a lot of people started to say, T. Higgins. He's a number one receiver. Give this dude some credit. And it's pretty amazing his involvement, what we're seeing out of T. Higgins with Jamar Chase on the sideline right now. Yeah, T, nine for 148 today. And then when you look at advanced stats, when targeted, he was adding 0.59 EPA per play. So every other play he got targeted, not every other catch, but every other time they targeted him, he added a point <laughs> to the scoreboard, basically. That's insane efficiency. Um, yeah, what a what a game. He had, I think my favorite play was he had an inside release go on the right side. You don't see that a ton. A lot of times you want that to be an outside release go because it's just like run that corner back out of the way so we can work something underneath. But when you got a guy like T, you're like, hey, win that however you want, and then just get back over the top and I'll throw the ball to you. And that's what happened. Uh, the most famous one I could think of was Sammy Watkins did it to, was it, was it, I don't, was it Jalen Ramsey? Yeah. Jalen Ramsey in the Super Bowl. Sammy Watkins. I, no, Richard Sherman. Sorry. Yeah. 49ers. Um, Chiefs. When Sammy walks with the Chiefs, he did an inside release go to Richard Sherman in the Super Bowl. And that's the most famous one I could think of. It's not a very common play, but the Bengals got to it today with T Higgins and he toasted him almost a touchdown. I really wish he got a touchdown because it almost feels empty to have the nine for 148 and he didn't score. But you know, hey, it's cool Trent Irwin and Samaj P run got theirs. I, I want to bring this up just while we stay with the weapons right now before we get to Jamar Chase. Ian Rappaport, who is very invested, one of the 
notable national guys did say before the game, it felt like there was some optimism that Jamar Chase, he's off crutches. It seems like everything is going good behind the scenes. And he got optimistic news from his doctor where he could hit the practice field this week. And the turnaround timeline really feels good for that Titans game. Because if you go back when they decided not to put him on the short-term IR, they were kind of shooting for this end of November game because they were going to have that added week due to the bye. When you think of Jamar Chase returning with this offense, and I want—I can't even count how many, and I apologize for not having this stat up, but the amount of different playmakers in this game that Joe Burrow threw to for 20-plus yards, he was giving everybody uh, some shine in this game, and I think that shows a lot from your quarterback, but just really exciting with this offense when it really feels like it's starting to get together. You could go from the Falcons game. I don't count the Browns game at all. I feel like it was a bad mismatch and a bad game plan when you really couldn't get anything going offensively. But then you go to the Carolina game and this game too, that they really feel like this offense is starting to figure out and what a time to do that when you could be getting one of your star receivers back. Yeah, Joe Burrow had uh, probably the best two interception game I've seen from a quarterback. That was uh, both of them being tipped interceptions against Pittsburgh. I don't get it. What is with that city just tipping these balls and catching? It wasn't one not tip, you know, clean catch for TJ Watt to just jump up at the line of scrimmage and come down with it like a Madden glitch that I would get furious about. I don't know what to do in that situation because the, the reason he's not pumped faking and stuff is because it's quick game and that's just one step balls out. And I guess you just don't run that against Pittsburgh. It's like, and they stopped. That's the thing is that after the interception, they just stopped running quick game. Like, okay, if you guys are going to really take away the underneath stuff, let's just go down the field. They started attacking with everybody down the field, Irwin, Boyd, Higgins, all those guys. So it ended up working out, but it's just like, oh, my goodness, you just can't run quick game against this team because Collins is punishing the jumper. That's what I keep asking for is for them to just drive that guy into the ground. It's like Collins was doing that. I don't know what to ask if he's going to catch the ball as he's being tackled to the ground. It's Whatever, but sorry, long rant for that. When I was talking about the offense being great, the offense was great. Two interceptions, and they still put up 37 points. And like I said, not real interceptions, but turn the ball over still. Um, I thought they'd need to score a lot after the first half defensive performance, but they turned it around. We'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was really impressed with the offense because it felt it felt really nice that not only were they good early, and then they ran into just a couple problems. This was interceptions on that quick game tip stuff. Weren't moving the ball that well. And then they just changed it just enough in the adjustment. It wasn't really a halftime adjustment. It was almost like a third quarter mid-game adjustment. So I thought that was really nice to see because it makes me more confident this team can be more um, pliable <laughs> in the future. They could, you know, mal- they're malleable to get into whatever they need. You know, they're, they can run the ball like they did against Carolina. They can throw the ball short. They can throw the ball long. They can do whatever. And then Jamar Chase is still coming back. They're scoring 37 points this game, 30 plus last game. And then they don't even have their best receivers. So what a great performance from them. I hats off. And Joe Burrow actually said after the game, one of my favorite wins since I've been in Cincinnati. And you could tell after the game, there's something about Joe Burrow. I'll be completely honest with you. At the home games, I can always see him come off the field. And Joe is really poised. And even the home playoff win, I remember him kind of doing a little fist bump. And then he went in because he you know, had more business to do. Obviously, they celebrated when they won the AFC North last year. And most of the home wins, even though they've been by a pretty large margin, he goes right into the locker room. And um, that's all we really see from Joe until he's in his press conference. 
And Joe, at the end of the game, the Bengals social media, I, I highly recommend going and checking it out. It's on their Instagram and their Twitter. And he has um, some choice words of how excited he is. And you can just see it. And, and Joe, after the game, like, yeah, we did it. Great win. Great team win. And him to say that it's it's one of his favorites since he's been in Cincinnati really does say something after what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, I think the rivalry there is still alive, even mm-hmm. though it's thankfully as bad as it is, it's still not anywhere near where it wasn't like 2015. No. So I hope it never gets to that level because that okay. way you're just open. Like I hope no injuries. It's not like a, just like a turf monster thing. It's like, I hope my team doesn't head, you know, like go head to head against yours and you do, don't do the same to mine. Um, but it's definitely still chippy. You see the George Pickens play at the end of the game where he goes helmet to helmet on Boyd as he's laying on the ground, whatever way to get yourself, lose some more money. Um, you look at, I feel like Pittsburgh really likes to toe the line a little bit on uh, when they can hit Burrow. And uh, since he was hitting Pickett too a lot. So I don't know about these teams. They, they like uh, they like to hit each other and they see each other often. So I can see pretty easily why Joe Burrow might be like, yeah, this is, I liked beating that team. Yeah. Who knows what's being said out there too. I mean, Joe yeah. hears it and he knows who he's going against. And you know, you, it's wild because Joe's picks this season were all against the AFC North. Everybody oh, remembers man. what happened week one. You have the one in Baltimore that's still questionable with right to Patrick Queen. And then you get the one against the Browns and then it's against the Pittsburgh Steelers. These teams know each other. And I feel like that has a lot to do with it. And then obviously when you have TJ Wild on the other side, but I want to give Pittsburgh a little credit here because this is a very good defense. You get Minka back who was a full go participant and still insane when he came back. I mean, being able to practice and go full go, you get TJ Watt back. And this is a whole different team with TJ Watt. They don't lose a lot of games with him, even though we saw what happened last year, but this guy has battled injuries too. So this wasn't an easy defense to face for the Cincinnati offense, put 37 up there and still felt like they left points off the board with touchdowns on some of the drives is credit to Zach Taylor. It's credit to Joe Burrow. It's credit to the playmakers who stepped up. And I just feel impressive overall for the offense. Yeah, and early on, I thought this game was going to be kind of boring for them because uh, it was third and long, and they ran the ball to get to a field goal. <laughs> and I was like, oh, one of those game plans. But then the Steelers started scoring, so they were like, ooh, we actually got to put up points on this board. So they started getting a little more aggressive. It all works out because they've got a great quarterback. And uh, it's tough because it is a tough defense to go against. They did a great job stopping the run. I just – they probably didn't give T Higgins enough, uh, enough respect <laughs> and they might next, they might next year. Uh, but this year, don't know if they gave him the respect he deserved. I guess he didn't catch a touchdown, but nine for one forty-eight. He was the engine of the offense at times. Most of the time, I think at least that, once he started getting going, that was it. Other than a couple big P Ryan <laughs> catches, the run game wasn't good. The, the pass game was awesome. So score 37 when your run game is even working is just what a testament to them. And also just want to add to your all eight of Joe Burrow's interceptions have come against the AFC North. Four of them have been tipped at the line. That's insane. That is so, insane. It's like four of them you don't even get to count. Four? That's what you're hoping for in an entire like two years. Like that's not normal. I, I know there's some of it could be Burrow not seeing or not throwing the ball far enough or maybe the offense is too predictable with the quick game, but it's like four? <laughs> it's too many. 
Yeah, I'm over that. If that never happens again in the rest of the AFC North games, I am totally fine with that. And I'm sure Joe Burrow is too. But when Joe Burrow talked to the media earlier this week, he said, I'm not going to throw four interceptions again. Who knew he was going to throw four touchdowns instead uh, for, for him to be able to do that and just kind of flip from, I mean, it wasn't, we knew Joe was going to, Joe remembers. Joe doesn't forget what happened week one. And he was still not trying to give excuses here, but he was coming off of uh, missing a lot of training camp. And he even said it like physically that that took a minute for Joe to get back, back physically on offense and just overall with his weight mentally and physically. So um, just credit to Joe Burrow, this offense, Zach Taylor, got to give him some credit on the road because Zach Taylor, since that Monday night football game of the Vaughn Bell hit that I'll never forget. He's four and one against the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. He's a long snapper away from being five and zero since that Monday night football game where it really felt like everything flipped with this rivalry just a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it, it would be even better if uh, the, I know you mentioned the long snapper. Just Why did I have to do that? We're going to, you know what? We are going to talk special teams coming up in our next segment and the defensive side of the ball. When we get back on its voice game day in Cincinnati. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Teased a little bit of the special teams because early on, it really didn't feel that special. They were struggling a little bit early, but I want to start with the punter change. Drew Chrisman, his debut, not easy on the road, that atmosphere in those field conditions, but he still showed out for a couple of his punts out there. He was good, uh, legitimately. Um, So I think that means Huber might be out of a job, but... Hey, one door closes, another opens. Drew Christman has his shot. He takes advantage of it. Fully deserves to get his shot to be a punter in this league. And, uh, I mean, it always helps when the first punt of the game, the guy muffs <laughs> the kick. And sometimes that's the punt because it looks like a knuckleball and you don't know where it is. But I don't know if that's true. Or maybe he just got a little bit of a, a little bit of just, uh, you know, the, what, like, rookie luck i don't know <laughs> i guess he's a second year player i don't know anyway uh he gets a little bit of luck and the ball hits him falls to the ground he gets a better punt because of that but it's still a great punt i thought he was a i think he just did a really good job at flipping the field there were no shanks that's the big one to me i don't know if i saw too many short area punts 
and that's the one area he wasn't that good at in uh, the preseason to get a, a punt at like the 50 and the be able to pin them inside the 10 or something. Not that Huber was doing a great job of that, um, but he was doing okay. And uh, I touchbacks are fine, but being able to change that to inside the 10 makes you just feel so much better. It's because it's so hard to drive 90 plus yards to go 80 something. Okay. But to go 90, oh man, the extra 10 yards just sounds so like such a bigger steep than between 80 and 70, like 80 and 90 to me. It's just like, oh, we got to go from inside our 10. It kind of felt like the writing was on the wall after bye week, but it also felt like the longest decision ever. We really didn't know the move until about Saturday when they activated Drew Chrisman on the active roster. We noticed Drew Chrisman, you know, punting before games, just kind of being there with the pregame warmups before. And it really kind of felt like mm, this could be happening soon. But I agree with you. I think that one night in that situation has pretty much just guaranteed Drew Chrisman the job um, for the future of the rest of the season in Cincinnati. But that's also credit to the franchise because, you know, they were getting some criticism early that they weren't going to move on from someone who's been in this position for a really long time because they were familiar with Kevin Huber. I don't think they had a whole lot of difference in training camp. And that's why they went with the decision to keep Kevin Huber on for the halfway point of the season. And they said, you know what? We're, Kevin's going to get the job right now until we decide otherwise. And keeping Drew Chrisman on their practice squad, um, it did mean something. It, it meant something last year when he was around that they still thought that this guy could be either the punter of the future or for the season. And they made that change. And I still feel like, yeah, Pittsburgh's offense couldn't do anything in the second half, but he really did flip the field position. And I don't know how many games this season that we could go back on and say mm, punting was the reason that they struggled or they lost the game, but it's still a weapon that you need on your special teams. And I just credit the franchise for making that move, which probably wasn't easy. And obviously they've been upfront and honest with Kevin Huber behind the scenes that this decision was going to happen. Oh yeah. Now a question for you. There was another guy that showed out and looked better than the starter. You knew I was going to say that. Go Travion, ahead. Williams, Travion Williams looked like a better kick return than Chris Evans. I don't know if that's just a one-game sample size or whatever, but Chris Evans had a lot of kicks that got knocked, that he got tackled at like the 15, and there were two big returns from Travion and usually got to the 25 or better. So uh, he looked like the kick returner, if even if mm -hmm. Evans is healthy next week, which isn't something I think the fans want to hear. You know what? There was a little hype. For Travion. So I think that he shows you what he can do. And at the end of the day, fans just want good results and they'll jump right on it. If he can show that he can return kicks like he did tonight, he's going to, he, it's going to be his job to lose. That's what they're going to go with. Darren Simmons is like, this is our people. These are our guys, but I'm going to stick with our special teams group. Evan McPherson. What a comeback for him, a 54-yarder. And I hate to be the field conditions person because the Steelers had to play on it too. Ice field sucks. Yeah. But Hey, 54? I think the longest kick at Heinz Field is like 57. It's it, not very it's not very long. The conditions weren't great. It was windy. Accrusher. Sorry, Nick was correcting me. They still have the ketchup bottles Please. up though. They do. They do. <laughs> they do. But but credit to Evan McPherson. That was a bounce back. I think a lot of people were a tiny tad bit concerned for some of his early misses, even though he was still on track to do what he did in 2021. Um, I feel like Evan, and then the change with Drew Christman, I think a lot of people were nervous about what that was going to do for Evan McPherson. He didn't skip a beat tonight. 
was going to bring that part up. Yeah, another credit to Chrisman that perfect on his holds. Uh, Evan McPherson, awesome today. Yeah, the the special teams was so great in some areas, and oh, the second segment might just all be special teams because I know I didn't mean it. Bad in some areas. The kickoff coverage unit gave up multiple big returns, and then I'm not sure Trent Taylor a punt that bounces to try to call a fair catch afterwards. No. Steelers could have lit him up on that and been right to do so, and he fumbles, and that just completely changes the game. Luckily, Pittsburgh was confused, too. Like, what? Did you just call for like, can you do that? Can you do that? And they didn't hit him, and then they ended up bringing him down. But it's like, you could have gotten destroyed there legally, and that wouldn't have gone well. Um, you can technically fair catch, like, onside kicks. So maybe that's the confusion. They're like, well, if you can fair catch an onside kick, why can't I fair catch this punt that bounced? But no, you can't do that. <laughs> it was just such an odd penalty to lose five extra yards. I, I had no clue what was happening there because, and again, it wasn't the outcome of the game, but you know how I feel about the NFL officiating. They're absolutely terrible at their jobs. Um, they are. They're so bad. Week after week, they get to be terrible. And I thought maybe Trent Taylor is pulling one from the NFL officiating book and just making up his own rules because I have no clue if you're even allowed to do what he just did because it was so bizarre. And I think Trent Taylor should know better. And if you're Darren Simmons, I would have loved to hear that conversation on the sidelines. Oh Trent Taylor came. I'm back. not blaming Darren Simmons for that. I don't think. No, no, Darren no. If, told if him, hey, fair catch that if it's a good no. bounce. No, I think Darren Simmons like, what are you he doing? He would have lit yeah. him up on the sideline. But he still went sure. out there. So he, he still didn't lose his job over it, which is right. You know, I don't think it was that bad of a, a mistake because it wasn't like a muff or anything. But it was just like, don't lose the offense five more yards, man. What are you doing? All right. We're going to we're going to skip over to the defense. I feel so terrible for the defense because they've had a pretty good season. And I always feel like I get to them last and at times they should be in the first segment, but everybody wants to talk offense and you should when you put up 37 points. But Will, I said it on social media during the game and I feel I felt like a lot of Bengals fans felt the same way after the first half. I was a little nervous about what was happening in the first half with Kenny Pickett driving down the field, throwing touchdown pat like what? He can do that. And uh, I, got, I got a little nervous. I didn't want this to be the Kenny Pickett game where he turns around his NFL career. Good luck to Kenny, just not against the Bengals. He should have had uh, three touchdowns. He, he he had the one that I guess he overthrew a little bit, but also Pickens fell down. He had the one at the end of the game. At the right. end of the game, yeah, that Pickens dropped. It was just like he almost had a three-touchdown, 300-yard game against this defense. <laughs> Would not like that at all, um, you know, but but overall, I think a lot of people felt the same way going in halftime because Lou has shown what he can do. And I get it'll always go back to the Kansas City games, the two Kansas City games, what he does at halftime, Lou's adjustments. And maybe it's because we're so con- we were conditioned before from the Marvin Lewis adjustments that never happened. I was convinced that they were going in the locker room and nothing was talked about and they just came out and it was brutal and nothing ever changed with Lou. He truly is a weapon as your defensive coordinator because it can flip. It can really flip. I do feel like they feed off of each other oh. offensively and defensively, but the dude credit to Lou. Yeah. Uh, first half 
was a disaster, to be honest. There were coverage busts every other drive. They gave up four scoring drives out of five drives. Uh, <laughs> they were giving up everything underneath. And it's like, well, at least they're protected deep, right? No, because of the coverage bust. And then they weren't getting much pressure despite blitzing a lot. And then everything got better. But <laughs> I was I was beyond just a little nervous. When they were on they were on pace for like 40 points, I was like, what is this defense doing? This team has scored 20 points as it's like – offensive season high because they scored 23 against the Bengals week one, but that was includes a pick six. So not mm. on the offense. So uh, very worried. I, I'm still a bit worried about this defense against better offenses because of that first half though. I know the second half was great until the garbage time touchdown, but that first half has me very worried because not every team is going to have to kick a couple field goals there. If that's the chiefs, I almost think, you might be down 35 to whatever, 14 at halftime, and that is not a place I'd want to be. No, and that's something that they have to work on. I know you're going to go back and watch the tape, but you think of the secondary with Cam Taylor Britt, you get Eli Apple out there. What did you think of the secondary's adjustments later in the second half? Because being without Cheeto is, is going to be something hard to overcome. It seemed like they didn't have as many busts. Uh, the main bust I can think of was it was late communication. The Steelers had a bunch to the right, so three guys all bunched up together. And there's a bunch of different adjustments you can make to that. They did what I think, because Jesse Bates is running down at the last second, and I think they made an adjustment. They had something called, and then they are like, well, we got a blitz call. We're in man coverage. What's the call here? I don't know. And then Jesse Bates comes sprinting down. But I think he plays it right, uh, playing 5-1-3 lock and level, which is just different guys on different levels, and they're going to play man coverage against the guy that they are head up against. It's what you think of when you think of man coverage against a bunch. There's a whole bunch of other weird ones. So Bates runs with his guy across the field for some reason, Eli Apple starts to follow him. And I don't know any coverage where the guy who's off into the outside is going to follow the first inside guy on the crossing route. So he goes and takes like four steps. And then I think it was Pickens runs right by him for the touchdown. And he eventually turns around and tries to run after him. But I was like, what? <laughs> I was lost on that. And then the announcer started blaming Bates. It's like, oh, that's going to go right over, right into the fan base. And Bates didn't have a good game. But yeah. the, the fan base is going to eat that up. The announcer said that uh, Bates looked confused because he did at first, but I think he played the right thing. When you when I look at the uh, coverage, I, I even asked uh, some coaches at friends with us, like, there's no coverage because the guy that was announcing was a former safety in the NFL. So I'm like, I don't want to challenge him. But maybe he just looked quickly, saw that he looked confused and went down there. There's no coverage that I know of where that outside guy is going to be the guy that's going to run with that over route. And then you expect Bates to go from the front and then to run all the way to the back outside. I was like, no, I don't think there's any coverage like that, at least man coverage. And they said they didn't see, they didn't know any, they said it was on Apple. <laughs> I was like, that's what I thought. I wouldn't give the announcers too much credit. They did call Trey Hendrickson, I, Ted Hendrickson. Ted Hendrickson. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I want to say they called TJ CJY, but who knows? I mean, those are pretty, I mean, pretty legit NFL defensive players and just screw their names up. Um, we should have Tony. Oh, Tony, I bet Tony's coming to town in a couple weeks for that Kansas City Bengals 425 kickoff, um, just like he likes it. And uh, Chase, uh, Jamar Chase should be should should be back. We'll see what happens later on this week as they get back to practice. But we'll stay with the defense right now. Talked a little bit about the secondary, but you, you're 100% correct when you talk about Jesse Bates because the fan base did eat that up. 
and it did look like he struggled and had a bad game. When we look I think at the- he did. No, I'm defending him on that play. Yeah. There was another play that looked like uh, bracket on Pickens, and so that would be uh, Cam Taylor Britt low into the outside. So anything outside and shallow, that's his. He runs what looks like a dig route at first. So base comes down to jump on it. And then he runs the double move and he goes and base doesn't keep his balance. He gets right past him. Pickett misses him at, or and Pickett's falls down. I'm not sure exactly. I don't remember where the ball ends up. I was almost like, yeah, Pickens overthrew that a little bit, but I think Pick, uh, Pickens had a chance to come down with it. If he didn't fall down anyway, doesn't matter. He gets burned uh, on a miscommunication, not miscommunication. He just, played it too aggressively. And then a couple plays, he went low and the one he got hurtled over. He, yeah. he was, I, I didn't, I thought it was a, not a good game. I don't think it was like abysmal, like bench this guy game, but it was like a, uh, man, that's a, <laughs> unfortunate that you're going to have a bad game today when uh, Eli Apple's also not going to have a great game. And <laughs> Mike Hilton got, uh, you know, called for a DPI, <laughs> I guess. Okay, that that was not a DPI. No. I'm sorry. Mike Hilton's credit. He does not he does not deserve that at and all. And credit to Mike Hilton run game. He is a linebacker. He came running, sprinting down there. I want to get the clip of it with a better angle, but it looked like he took on another offensive lineman, just went straight into him this time, didn't go underneath him or anything, and closed the hole to force a no gain. And I was like, Mike Hilton, man, that guy's a maniac. He is. He really is. Uh, I love watching him out there, and it's crazy that he had the surgery just a couple weeks ago, and he, and he's back and ready to go, and I'm sure this was a nice little revenge dub, even though we got the sweep against his former team last year. We'll move on. There's a few more defensive players I want to talk about in the next segment on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Staying with the defense right now, Trey Hendrickson, he did leave for a few series, went into the locker room in the first half. I always get nervous because without Trey Hendrickson, we really need him out there on that defensive line. Sam Hubbard during moments. What did you think of uh, Sam and Trey tonight? Ooh, Trey was awesome, even though he only had half a sack. I thought he was really giving Dan more of the business. Um, a lot of bull rushes. I think Trey does a lot of fun stuff with his hands and he can win around the outside or win inside. He is at his best, but he can put his head down and be <laughs> just be a, a, a snow plow and just fire into those offensive linemen, two hands and drive him straight backwards. That's what he did to get his sack. 
And I thought he got a ton of pressure on Pickett today doing just that to Dan Moore, which is what he did last year to Dan Moore and ended up with like 12 pressures over two games. I think you'll see some similar numbers from the game today, like five or six. And then Sam Hubbard, my favorite play on the defensive side was, so Pickett yells out, Lou, 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 meaning not Lou Anarumo, but uh, he's calling for a slide to the left. I know this is very rudimentary to say Lou is slide to the left for L and Ron would be slide to the right for R. It's like, yeah, even NFL teams are still doing that type of thing. So they run a full slide to the left and uh, the call ends up bringing the pressure right into the slide. But then they kept Sam Hubbard on a delayed rush. So it looked like he wasn't going. It looked like he might drop back. He's kind of like stood there, took a step back. And then the guy, the right tackle is going to slide down with the rest of the offensive line to squeeze it down because he thinks that guy's dropping off. Pressure to one side dropping off on the other is completely normal. He rushes, gets a free rush, gets a sack. Awesome. That's a... <laughs> It was such a cool call to see in real time. And then uh, when it works out, it's just like, okay, I know these blitzes were not working the entire first half. What a great blitz. <laughs> no, do more of that specific one on third and long. Like I said, you're going to go back and watch this tape. So you'll get a more in-depth look on the defense and offensive side of the ball. Jermaine Pratt. Let's look at the linebacker room. Ooh, underrated game. Underrated game for Jermaine Pratt. I loved his game today. He did what's called a fast fit twice and got tackles for loss or a tackle for like no gain. And what that is, is when they run wide zone type plays, there's this little crease that'll open up between two players. Cause one guy's going to help here. One guy's going to help there. And now there's just a little space in between them and Pratt runs right through it. I think they're both to the B gap. So in between the guard and tackle guard goes to block the nose, the tackles trying to block the end and Pratt just sprints through that B gap and makes a tackle. Awesome. Awesome stuff. That's just, it's some of the most fun plays you could watch, uh, at least against the run. Maybe not against – there's some interceptions and stuff against the pass that might be more fun. But to me, love watching that. And he made some big hits. It felt like every time Pratt would hit somebody, he would just hear the giant thud on the on the broadcast. I wasn't at the game, but uh, I assume you could hear it pretty well there too because the microphones are picking it up. But, you know, when he hits guys, he hits guys and – Love seeing a linebacker that knows when to take the opportunity to fast fit or run through. This is a DJ Reader Stan podcast. He returned to the game after his injury week three. What did you think of DJ Reader tonight? I, I didn't think he was up to his normal self. I don't think he was terrible or anything, but I don't think it was I'm shutting down two gaps and being that dude, DJ Reader. I think I think the knee wasn't the best. And I also think that the field didn't look great. So I can also see that having an effect on uh, somebody with a janky knee right now. So hoping it gets better for the next game, because that's going to be more important against the Titans to be able to stop that run game. But I didn't think it was terrible. Didn't think he was all pro level like he was in weeks one through three. And to be determined on, you know, if you're a hundred percent when you're coming back from that in your first live action NFL game, it's always kind of hard to get used to that after being out for a few weeks. So yeah, as you mentioned, it won't be easy against the Tennessee Titans. We'll get to that preview later in the week. A look ahead, a huge AFC battle because they're secretly uh, having a nice little record that nobody really is paying attention to with the Titans right now. And it's going to be a rematch of the divisional game. So it should be a fun one. And we'll get to that later this week.
I want to look ahead to the AFC picture right now because you're getting to that point where these games are going to matter. Teams are going to play other teams in the AFC and the AFC East. You look at the AFC South, which I feel like the Titans are going to take that by a mile. The AFC West, I still don't feel like we it is what we thought it would be. I know the Chargers and Kansas, Kansas City are playing right now. At the moment, the Chargers are winning. This game will be over by the time you listen to this podcast. And all of it kind of factors in what's going to happen in Cincinnati. I watched the Baltimore Ravens today. And I think this is a perfect example of it. And I know they won the game. But it's any given Sunday. There's been a lot of talk about Baltimore really taking the AFC North and Cincinnati's path. And it won't be easy for Cincinnati. There are some really tough games coming up, but they've been in that position before. You get the Bills, you get Kansas City, you get the Titans, you get Tampa. I think that Patriots game is still a head scratcher, even though that board that they played against the New York Jets today was uh, terrible to watch for both offenses. But there's still plenty of opportunity for Cincinnati to either gain ground or just kind of be put in a difficult position and Baltimore's ride to the AFC North looks a little bit easier. But I watched them against a Carolina Panthers team, but I know it's any given Sunday, and it doesn't really matter what a team's record is. That offense uh, struggling a bit, and one of the things we keep hearing about the Baltimore Ravens, we haven't seen their best football yet, but what is their best football? Because what I've seen so far this season, I'm like, okay, all right. Cincinnati should have won that game. I can't believe you held them to 19 points and you still took the L on Sunday night football against the Baltimore Ravens. So I haven't been extremely impressed. And I still think it's not as easy as they think it's going to be to just take the North the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like the Ravens are just so benefited from their schedule the rest of the season. They get, opponents like the Panthers where they can put up a game like they did today and still come away with the win because it doesn't matter. They, they play poorly, but as long as, you know, as long as they just, they just don't throw four interceptions, they they'll win the game because they're the better team. Eventually Lamar Jackson will score a touchdown and the defense, what, two interceptions, five sacks or something against Baker. Like it's, Baker Mayfield against every other NFL team is not a good quarterback against the Bengals. For some reason, he does pretty well. And uh, that showed again today. I don't know their next week's schedule, but it's just, I think there are teams on their schedule though. I'm going to quickly look it up because I don't think that the AFC North is out of reach. You have one more game against them. So they have to drop, they have to be one game worse than the Bengals over this stretch until week 18, because they have to be tied on January 8th when they play for the Bengals to be able to take the division. They play the Jags next week. That's a, sometimes the Jags play well. I wouldn't be surprised or shocked if they lose it to the Broncos. And then you got Steelers and Browns divisional games. They can be tough. I predict the Ravens to win, but two games against the Steelers. Steelers have always played Lamar Jackson well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like they're, they're, It's an easy schedule because none of these teams are like dominant. They, they don't play the Chiefs. They don't play the Bills. But it's like, I wouldn't be shocked if they drop some of these games, especially like a, a Jags team that if the if the Ravens play like they did today against that Jags team, I think the Jags win because Trevor Lawrence is playing pretty well right now. He's been up and down this year, but he's playing pretty well. And the defense can take advantage of these opportunities, unlike what the Panthers were able to do. So I... I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if the Ravens were to drop a few games in this, you know, 
this easy schedule was overrated. Also wouldn't be that shocked if they do really, really well because they are the better team in all these games. So that's how I see it. Um, other than that, I saw the Bengals were the seven seed right now. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little bit confused on the tiebreakers because they have a worse conference record than the Jets, but they kicked the Jets out. I don't know if that's – I did see something once, and I, I, I shouldn't just talk about things I see. <laughs> but um, so – division standings and it had the you know the Bengals are second in the AFC North and I guess second in the AFC North and a tied record is going to put them over the third team in the AFC East I don't know that that's I believe could be the tiebreaker I would love for somebody on Twitter to explain it to me but that is what I see is that the Bengals and CBS showed it and I see it online on SB Nation right now. It's just that the Bengals are the number three or the third wild card team. They'd have to travel to Miami in the first round if the season ended today, pending the Chargers game, which I guess the Chargers would be the second team of the AFC West. And then they probably have a better conference record if they win. So that would probably kick the Bengals back out of the playoffs. So go Chiefs tonight. No, <laughs> it's so weird to say that, but we are saying go Chiefs. I, I, I don't. I don't hate the Chiefs. I love Andy Reid, and that's, I, I think, the one thing that keeps me there. I used to like the Chiefs a little bit. I, I can't be there now because I think there is a small rivalry between the Bengals and Chiefs there is. because of what happened. So I, I'm no longer there, but I have no problem rooting for them over the Chargers because there is also the stupid Burrow-Herbert rivalry with the Chargers. So <laughs> their fans make it sometimes, and the Bengals fans instigating it too you know it just becomes a little bit hard to root for the Chargers too and I don't know I, I go Chiefs because I think the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West so if you can make the wild card easier for the Bengals that is still their best path to the playoffs um need them to make the playoffs and uh, the Chiefs winning it gives them a better shot yeah no I agree with that I think with the Chiefs it's the the whole AFC championship invitational that they feel like they host every year and um Cincinnati's shown that you can beat them at home and honestly deja vu would be a nice little uh thing to see later this year but a lot of football left for the Cincinnati Bengals but just the AFC picture overall I think the Bills game is one that I want to point out because whenever you can put the Browns in the basement you love that uh but kind of just overall with the Buffalo Bills they practiced one time and they were shoveling the rest of the time and still played really sloppy to begin the game. And then it was just over. It was over for Buffalo. They were not going to lose three games in a row. But I think one thing we, we've noticed or we've watched from Buffalo so far this season, they're a beatable team. Um, obviously, Cincinnati being familiar with Kansas City, they're a beatable team. The Jets look absolutely brutal. I do not know how they have six wins with Zach Wilson as their quarterback. They're probably the worst six and four team that exists in the planet of the earth. I think the AFC is still wide, wide open right now. I agree, especially for, I don't think the, I'll be honest. Yeah. I think the Chiefs just have the one seed. <laughs> like, I, I think that's the one thing that's there. I mean, they got to win tonight, but if they win tonight, they're eight and two. They're probably the best team on paper in the AFC. And, you know, they've got the one game lead. I, I feel like they're just going to win the one seed and, so that might not be wide open. I feel like there's a clear team to beat. It's not Buffalo after all the preseason hype. It's still the Chiefs. Um, Bengals have shown they can do that. And the Chiefs are unbeatable. 
Yeah, like we just said, like like we've seen. So uh, the the Bills definitely be able. They look bad to start that game. I think the Josh Allen elbow thing, at least right now, looks like it's going to be a concern the rest of the year because I saw him just not hitting passes. And I know he hasn't always been the most accurate quarterback, but he's been more accurate the past three years. And he, he the mind is there, but you know sometimes he makes those bad decisions. But the mind is mostly there, and uh, the arm just once in a while just kind of failing him. I was like, I, I can't help but think this could be elbow related. And I don't know if that gets better throughout the year, but it's going to be throwing a lot. Um, the bills look beatable. The chiefs are beatable. Although they look like the best team in the AFC, maybe I'll sound dumb when the Chargers win 45 to seven tonight or something, but uh, not hoping for that because I'd kick the Bengals back out of the playoffs. No, Dolphins beatable. The Bengals beat them and they look, and they were winning when Tua went down, so I'm yeah. not overly concerned about that. Titans is beatable. Ravens, yeah, you know, look at all these teams. It's like, yeah, the Bengals could beat that team. The the Chiefs are the toughest one, but the Bengals could beat all of these teams. And realistically, the Bills right now are also a uh, wild card team. I know they're tied with the Dolphins, uh, but it's kind of a Bengals uh, Ravens situation with the Bills and Dolphins. Like the team that, in my mind, might be a little bit inferior is winning the division. And they've got the tiebreaker, and the other team is a wild card right now. If it sticks that way for both of them, I feel like it's gonna be hard for the Bengals and Bills to play in the AFC playoffs. So you might not even have to worry about it too much, unless <laughs> it'd be a wild, like two wild card teams. When was the last time two wild card teams made it to the championship game? I don't know if that's ever happened. Well, anything is absolutely possible because this NFL season feels so upside down. Every week you have no clue what's going to happen. And I'm still not. And look, this could come back and get me in, in December and January or even the first round of the playoffs. But I'm not buying into the Miami Dolphins. I know they have the weapons. And I know Tua is looking pretty good out there. But I agree with you. When Tua was in the game, I felt pr pretty confident about this Bengals offense and defense being able to keep up with Miami. And they do have that win over Miami. So I think at the moment you're kind of just – rooting for the bills and the chiefs to kind of take off and then the other teams who are in those wild card spots and the titans i feel like they're going to take the south um and i don't think it's closing yeah. you're going to want that one over them on sunday um but, jeff saturday's colts almost beat the eagles today you never know what's going to happen that that loss did help cincinnati so I'm, i don't mind it taking that l uh 17 16 against the eagles but it, it's any given sunday every week i just Overall, we talked a little bit about the offense, the playmakers, the soon-to-be maybe return to Jamar Chase. I know we're recording on Tuesday. They don't hit the practice field really until Wednesday. So that update will be out there on social media, and I'm really looking forward to seeing if uh, Jamar Chase is good to go and, and could be returning for this big AFC battle against the Tennessee Titans a week from tonight. What's up on all Bengals? Are you back to work? Yeah, I'll be back to work. I'm going to have a takeaways article up, and then I'll have a film one up, and then it's Thanksgiving, so it's not really that much back to work, you know? I'm not going to be doing previews or anything, uh, but yeah, uh, back to work. I'm going to at least get this takeaways article up, because you got to write something. It's been a while. <laughs> Just put Joe Burrow at your letter at your header, and everybody will click on it, so <laughs> Just put Joe Burrow. <laughs> I'll tell James, I'll be like, hey, James, make sure it's a Joe Burrow header. Uh, I'll just make four takeaways about Joe Burrow, and then I'll finally get to somebody else. 
Honestly, and again, no offense to the defense because they did show up in the second half, but uh, anything Joe Burrow related is always going to stick with this fan base. But just a great night for Joe Burrow. I know he had the two picks, but again, you throw four tutties without Joe Mixon and your number one wide receiver, Jamar Chase, out there, and you still show up with your playmakers that you do have. It was a night for Joe, 355. And then he did go over the 10,000 mark of Kurt Warner. The um, hold on one second. Now I got to pull the stat up because I'm saying fastest uh, to reach 10,000 passing yards. I saw it. Yeah, which is pretty incredible for Joe Burrow. So uh, credit to JB. What a night for him. A big division win. Make sure you check him out over on Twitter. Bengals underscore Sands. Check out his work on all Bengals. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson later this week. We'll get Tennessee Bengals. A look ahead to Thanksgiving. All the fun stuff on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.